So 35. This is still a continuation of what's going on in 34. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Remember, we started all of this with the second coming. So the second coming, he goes and he rototills Edom. And now he's talking about what things will be like as he reigns. And so they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hand, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Now this is one of those places where we just lost our time stamp. Because the next chapter, 36, is going to be the historical account of the siege of Jerusalem under Sennacherib. And what Isaiah says to Hezekiah is, be still, don't thrash around, God is going to save you. This, you strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees and so forth, could be referring to that. That would be a perfectly fine reference. It could also refer to Yeshua coming back, rototilling Edom, and then moving on to Jerusalem where he is going to take command. That's what I say. This is one of those places where we lose track of the time stamp. It isn't clear which we're talking about here. Or we may be talking about both. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. In order to understand this in context, you need to go to Luke 7:18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, he said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So, John is in prison, about to be beheaded. And what he wants to know is, have I wasted my time, or are you truly the one? Yeshua doesn't answer him directly. He just goes, you be healed. You be raised from the dead. You start walking. And he just starts miracling all around him. And he says, all right, now, disciples, go tell John what you saw. And what he references here is Isaiah. He is doing the things that the Messiah is prophesied to do in Isaiah. So he doesn't tell John, yes, I am. He says, look what I do. And by looking at what I do, you will then know the truth of who I am. If you go back to Isaiah 35 in verse 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. So what Yeshua is doing for John is he is reassuring him by pointing him back to Isaiah, this passage, where this is what the Messiah is going to do when he redeems Israel, which is, again, why I say in verse 3 and 4 of 35, it isn't really necessarily clear whether we're talking about in times or whether we're talking about the immediate relief of Jerusalem from the Assyrians, or both. Verse 8, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk in the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. In other words, what this is talking about is the second circumcision of the heart. In Deuteronomy, you got two circumcisions of the heart. You got the first one where Moses says, you guys circumcise your heart if you want to stay in the land. And at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses says, okay, I know you're not going to do it right. So at the end, when God restores you, he will do the circumcision of your heart. So the idea here that even the fool will not go astray is by way of saying that his heart will have been circumcised. And even though he is a fool, he will not stray from the law. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. It's got a note, so there may be an alternate reading. Or if they are fools, they shall not wander in it. And that still can mean the same thing. It can look at it, if they are fools, they won't wander onto the path. Or he could be saying, if they are fools on the path, they will not wander. That English phrase can be taken either way. And my translator has taken it the second way. Do with that whatever you want. Verse 9. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I am inferring that this is the millennial reign. So now we leave poetry and prophecy and we're going to go into a historical section. So chapter 36. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah in Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. So Hezekiah sent his staff out. By the way, the Rebshekah is probably a title as opposed to a proper name. So the Rebshekah has got his army idling outside the gate, and he is standing there talking to Hezekiah's staff guys. Oh, by the way, Hezekiah, as I've said before, has done several things. He has tried to form an alliance with Egypt, and that turns out to be a mistake. God, in previous chapters here in Isaiah, says, no, that isn't going to do you any good. He has also stripped all of the precious metal out of the temple, and he has sent it to Sennacherib, 
as Sennacherib is coming down with the intention of buying him off. And he sends a message saying, here is all our precious metal for tribute, and I will agree to be your vassal, only do not come and take my city. Sennacherib scarps up all the gold and keeps coming. So that's where we are. And Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff that will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. So first thing he says, you guys tried to form an alliance with Egypt. Big mistake. Egypt's not reliable. Verse 7. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? One of the things that Hezekiah did as soon as he took over the kingship is he destroyed all the high places and he returned worship to the temple in Jerusalem. So what the Reb Sheke is saying here to these guys, hey, you guys used to have places to worship all over the place. And this guy, Hezekiah, cut them all down and brought you into his city to worship. The implication being he's trying to control the religious life of the city for his own political purposes. Verse 8, still the Reb Sheke. Come now. Make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses, if you were able on your part to set riders on them. In other words, you ain't got 2,000 guys that are decent cavalrymen. I'd give you the horses if you could use them. Verse 9. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. In my translation, the Lord is all caps, which is Jehovah. So what he's saying is, your God, Jehovah, has given you into my hand. Verse 11. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Yoah said to Rabshakeh, Please, speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah, within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. In other words, you guys, are, your trash talking is here, and your trash talk is affecting morale in the city. Let's talk in Aramaic that nobody else understands, and we'll do our negotiations in Aramaic, but I don't want you trash talking us in front of all the people. Verse 12, but the Reb Shekah said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? So, continuing to trash talk. The point is, Hezekiah is terrified. Hezekiah tried to buy him off, tried to send tribute. Hezekiah is terrified, and it takes Isaiah to stiffen Hezekiah up so Hezekiah doesn't surrender the city forthwith. 13. Then the Rebshekah stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. 
Do not listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own sister. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. So what he's saying here is, come out, surrender. And what's going to happen next is I'm going to send some people down. They're going to round you up and they're going to take you off to another piece of land, which is at least as good as the one you've got, just like we did to the northern kingdom. The conquest policy of the Assyrians were to take a conquered people, pick them up wholesale, move them off to someplace else, and swap them population for population with another place. And the idea is it separates them from their ancestral land and makes them less likely to rebel. So that's what the Samaritans are. Is Samaritans were the people that the Assyrians brought into the kingdom of Israel when they took the Israelites out and scattered them to the north. So the Rebsheke here is saying, all right, surrender. I'll let you be in peace until we get some bureaucrats down here, and then I'll pick you all up and I'll move you out. But I won't kill you. And you won't eat your own dung and you won't drink your own urine, which is what he said before. Verse 18, Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Big mistake. So what he's saying is, all these other people that I have conquered have put their trust in their gods, and none of their gods have been able to deliver them. Furthermore, the kingdom of Israel put its trust in Jehovah, and Jehovah was not able to deliver them either. Therefore, don't trust Hezekiah when he says Jehovah will deliver us because there's no track record. My track record is I conquer everybody I go up against. All these so-called gods have not been able to stand against me, and neither will yours. That's where he makes his mistake. Fatal error. Verse 21. But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shibna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rebshekah.